Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we have another presidential candidate. It's Tom Steyer, the billionaire former hedge fund manager from San Francisco. He just had to walk down the street to be on the podcast. We ask him the question that I hear all the time when I'm talking about Steyer. Why is he running for president? He does so many things for the Democratic Party, for grassroots organizing. Why does he feel the need to run for president also? We get into that. He also talks about why he's a better candidate than another billionaire philanthropist in the campaign, Mike Bloomberg, the former New York City mayor. Steyer goes after him on a couple things. And finally, we talk about impeachment. Remember, Steyer was OG on impeachment at a time when Nancy Pelosi would have none of it. We talk about whether he feels vindicated that when we're recording this, the president is about to be impeached. And here's my conversation with Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer, welcome back to It's All Political. Uh, I would say welcome to the city of St. Francis, but you live here. I do. <laughs> you do. You do on the other hand, I'm on the road so much that I'll take it. <laughs> it's always great to be home. And I'm very excited that you wore your tartan tie today because I, you know I'm a big fan. I know that you like formality at work, Joe. <laughs> so I'm doing whatever I can. Right, right. Um, uh, for the theater of the mind we create on the podcast so <laughs> they can imagine you in the tartan tie. All right, there's a lot to talk about here. There's so much to talk about. I, let's just jump into it. There was going to be a debate uh, next Thursday. after. Holy we cow, this. you're it, kidding. Yeah, you, I think you're supposed to be there. I am. Yeah, and you would be there, but others will not. And... And Cory Booker said there will be more billionaires than black people on the stage. What do you think the effect of that's going to be on the Democrat? The image of that, uh, you know, party, 46% of the party, the voters are people of color. There's concern. Julian Castro told me the other day that that might depress turnout and such. What is your concern about that? Look, I said as soon as Kamala Harris terminated her campaign or suspended her campaign, I'm not sure the right verb, that I was concerned about that fact. And I called on the DNC to change the criteria to try and make sure that it was more um, diverse, that a more diverse group of candidates were available. I can't control that, but I share the concern that we have as many diverse voices on the stage as possible. What do? You, how could that be? Do you have any ideas for rule changes to, to include more diversity? You know, I, I don't want to tell the DNC how to do their job. I think other people have tried to do that throughout this campaign. I think that uh, they have not given the new rules for the January debate yet. And I think that's probably they're trying to figure out that very question, Joe. Do you feel that you've become sort of a scapegoat on this? Uh, Julian Castro sent out, uh, you know, the tw email uh, fundraising blast that said, quote, Billionaire Tom Steyer just personally bought his way onto the next debate stage. Meanwhile, we're about to lose one of the more, most important voices in this entire presidential race, which, of course, was Julian Castro. <laughs> uh, was, um, I didn't know that. Yes, well, I mean, he sent the email. He was referring to himself. Um, what, do you feel, what do you feel about that when you're used as kind of a, as a scapegoat for that? Look, I think that there is a real issue for everybody running for president, which is message. What do you stand for? Are you saying something important? Are you saying something differential? And are you trusted to make it happen? And if you look at what I've done in this campaign, I've done exactly what I've done for the past decade, which is when I've seen a significant problem in American society, I've gone after it with my heart and soul and also money. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. I'm saying there's a specific, I have a very simple message, 
which I think is different, which is this government's been bought. It's been bought by corporations. We need to take it back. And I've spent a decade organizing coalitions of Americans to do that, to take on corporate power, to push power to the people, to get as much direct democracy as possible. And for a decade, I've succeeded. And so if you think this government has been bought by corporations and isn't representing you or the American people, I'm saying very clearly, who are you going to trust to do it? And I'm saying, I have a record of over a decade as an outsider of succeeding on that problem. I think that's the problem. And I think this is about message to a, you know, if you don't, it's, this is about what do the American people hear you say and does it resonate? And do you resonate? The, um, it brings me to the question that you, you've been long time for the last decade or so, one of the big donors to the party. You have contributed tens of millions of dollars to Democratic voter registration. We've written about that. You've, and you've done it the right way, I got to say. You don't bigfoot with your uh, organization. You partner with local community groups, people of color. And that's one of the reasons that Democrats, uh, they, they nod to you for the, one of the reasons they took back the House last year. There's a lot of stuff your organization, Next Generation, did on the ground. Um, and you're continuing to fund that. Yes. So you're doing Absolutely. two things at one time. Not either or. And, but why not continue just doing that role? Why not say, okay, I know I've got good ideas. I, I have a megaphone to do them, but the time isn't right. You know, the party isn't ready or not ready for, but ready to listen to a 62 year old white billionaire for being president. Why not just continue to do that and not run for president? Cause I didn't, I, I, that was my original plan. That's why I didn't announce in January. And then I listened to the first couple of debates and I didn't feel like anyone was leveling with the American people. And what specifically, like what specifically were they doing? people were talking about policy and are those policy differences important? Heck yes. Is there a big difference between Medicare for all and a public option? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Is there a big difference between people's different green new deals? Sure. Is there a difference between people's, you know, common sense gun legislation. Yes. What no one was saying was, we're not getting any of this. These are not new problems. There's a reason they're not happening. And that is this government's been purchased. So yes, these differences matter. Yes, it's significant. But what really matters is are we getting any of this? And what are you going to do about it? I'm talking about structural reform, including term limits for every congressperson and senator. I'm talking about instituting direct democracy in the United States, the way we have it in California with propositions where you can collect signatures, put it on the ballot. And if the people vote for it, it's a law. I'm talking about actually changing the structure of Washington, D.C. No one else will talk about those things. That's first. Second of all, there's no one else on that stage, Joe, who will say that climate's their number one priority. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no doubt about it that what I'm saying, that, it has, that it's a state of emergency that it has to be done from the standpoint of environmental justice, because I've done this for a decade. I've been fighting and winning on climate for a decade, and it's always been started and been led by environmental justice. And third of all, if you're not, no one else even talks about climate from a foreign policy standpoint, but this is clearly a global problem requiring a global solution. I'd say I make it the top priority of my foreign policy. No one else even talks about it in terms of foreign policy. So that's the second point. And the third thing is this, and we're hitting this right now. Mr. Trump said, I think three days ago to a group called, which I think is called the Israeli American conference. I may get that wrong, but it's some combination mm -hmm. of those words. Yeah. He basically said, I don't like you and you don't like me. He said, you're brutal killers. 
but you're all going to vote for me because if I'm not the president, this economy is going to tank in 15 minutes. He just basically gave you the Republican game plan for 2020. The Democrats don't know how to provide for a prosperous America. So whoever's going to be the Democratic candidate has got to be able to go after Mr. Trump for what he is, which is a fake businessman, a failed businessman, a fraud as a businessman, and a fraud and a failure as a steward of the American economy. I spent 30 years in the private sector. I built a business from scratch. He is a fake. I can take him down. I actually have the experience and the knowledge to do it. And this, uh, that is going to be the fight. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he basically gave you, he's not a complicated guy. Right, right. That's his game plan. The Democrats will tank the economy. They don't know what they're doing. Can't say that to me, but I can say it to him. Right. So uh, speaking of billionaires, I missed your event, I'm sorry to say, in Walnut Creek yesterday because I was, I was, I was two-timing you with another billionaire, right. Michael Bloomberg in, in Stockton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him why he, like you, um, you have, you have endorsed Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax and you have your own version of that. Uh, well, I, actually that's not true. I had a wealth tax before Elizabeth Warren. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so you had, so you, endorsing you her wealth tax. Yeah. Actually, I think if you want to put it that way, you could say she endorsed my wealth okay. tax. Thank she, you so much. You I agree a, with that. <laughs> you have a wealth tax. I asked him, I said, why don't you support a wealth tax? And, and Bloomberg, he sort of hemmed and hawed and said, well, he thinks the wealthy should pay more taxes, but he didn't endorse either plan or, or endorse a wealth tax in general. You have said he should get out of the race, correct? Correct. If he does not endorse. Uh, I agree why, with that. Why should he get out of the race because of, because of that? Look, we have had 40 years, starting with Ronald Reagan, of increasing inequality of income across America. In fact, all of the gains in income over the last 40 years have gone to the richest Americans and the biggest corporations, all of them. Mm -hmm. There is an inequality and injustice that has occurred over the last 40 years that is intolerable. So there are a lot of ways to address that. But what it's resulted in is a magnified inequality in terms of wealth. Mm -hmm. And so having some wealth tax, both to get, we need revenues. The the, the Republicans have deliberately starved the government so they can cut social programs that invest in the success and health of Americans. And so we need revenues so that we can actually become a prosperous country, so we can actually enable the success of our citizens and each other. And this is the lowest. And this is a way that is actually redressing an inequity that has occurred that is intolerable over the last 40 years. And so particularly if you're someone rich like Mike Bloomberg or me, and you want to represent the Democratic Party, then you have to want to redress this critical and central injustice in our society. You want to represent Democrats? then you have to be willing to address this openly. You have to be straightforward about it and you have to go after it. And if you're not willing to, I don't think you're, you may well be appropriate to run for president, but not as a Democrat. Now you and Bloomberg are similar in many levels. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've known each other for many years. Yes. No. Yeah. You were both charter members of the giving pledge. People who say I'm giving away half of my wealth to charity in my, in your lifetime. You've both devoted yourselves to the environment. Both uh, give a lot to build up the party, and as we alluded to earlier, local candidates and causes. Total climate hawks. Both said you weren't going to run for president, then changed your mind because when you what you saw in the race was different, was uh, not not what to your liking. How are you different from him? How are you a better candidate? Oh my gosh, him? Joe, you're taller. For goodness number one. sake, come on, let's. You're taller. We don't agree on millions of things. Like what? Like what? 
Well, oh, yeah. it's, the wealth tax is absolutely emblematic okay. of how we're different. Mike has a completely different history as mayor of New York of what he actually did. And th it just doesn't coincide with any, you know, I've been consistently, I pushed to end cash bail in California. I went after the drug companies for transparency. I've pushed for a bill of rights for student borrowers. I mean, he has a history in New York that he's apologized for. What do you think about stop and frisk? That is apologized he, for it days before running for president. What did you think about that? I think that's for the voters to decide, but it's completely different from me. <laughs> in all seriousness, we start, my wife and I started a community bank in Oakland that is, went from $0 is over a billion one. It's been going for 10, 10, 12 years now. Correct? Uh, we came up with the idea 15 years ago, and it's probably been going for about 13 because it took that long to get a license and get going couple of years. But let me say this. It's dedicated to the ideas of economic justice, environmental sustainability, and supporting businesses owned by women and people of color. That's a very different history. If you look at actually what we've done, it's completely different. We, you know, I pushed the largest youth voter mobilization through Next Gen America last year in history. We've gone out and registered millions of Americans, overwhelmingly young people and people of color. We've knocked on with our partners in labor, who we've always been partners with, always mm -hmm, will be partners mm -hmm. with. We've knocked on over 25 million doors in the last two cycles. We've done grassroots organizing to push power directly down to the people, consistently for over a decade, and won. We've taken on corporations consistently and won. It's a really different profile. I mean, he, he's coming at this. Yeah. I mean, Mike Bloomberg, you, you take a look at his history. I have a progressive background of consistently, successfully pushing power to the people and taking on on and unchecked he, he corporate power. You're saying no, that's me. This is not a comparable. I, I, look, if Mike would embrace a wealth tax, I'd say, bring it on. You know, tell people who you were, tell them what you did, apologize if you want, and explain why you'd be an appropriate candidate for the Democratic Party. I think the more, the merrier. But I just want to say it's absolutely important to recognize the inequality. It's absolutely important to recognize the asset base of it is overwhelmingly unjust and unequal and that we should be addressing it. You're listening to my conversation with presidential candidate Tom Steyer. We'll have more after this break. And now here's more of my conversation with Tom Steyer. Bloomberg yesterday in Stockton, he said that he is more, he would lead, quote, evolutionary rather than revolutionary change. Where are you in that spectrum from evolutionary to revolutionary? Well, you know, I, I would use different words than that, Joe, mm -hmm. yeah, but here's what I'd say. When we think about how we're going to win, there are two theories in the Democratic Party and, and they fit your two categories, but they come at it from a different, they're the people who think we need to convince the 2% of America that doesn't know if they like or don't like Mr. Trump. And we need to tell them we're just like Republicans, only we're a little bit nicer. And then if they swing to our side, we <laughs> eke out a victory and we, you know, have a party. That's not what I think. That is the institutional view of American politics. Here's what I think. There are tens of millions of Americans who don't vote. They're young. They're African-American. They're Latino. They think the system doesn't work. They think no one tells the truth. They think no one deals with their issues. And they're all Democrats. And so the question to me is not how do we get the 2%. 
that can't make up their mind by telling them we're just like Republicans. How about if we get the 25 to 50 percent who've made up their minds but think the system doesn't work and that no one tells the truth? Let's tell them the <clears throat> truth. Let's totally change the turnout. Let's win everything. That's my goal. That's what happened in 2018. Democratic turnout between 2014 and 2018 went from 35 million voters to 59 million voters, mm -hmm. up 75%. In the 38 congressional districts we were in, we much more than doubled the turnout of young people. It wasn't we convinced 2% of the people to change their mind. You know, more people voted Republican in 2018 than in 2014. But the difference was the number of Democrats who showed up went up by three quarters. And again, and going back to the grassroots that, thing. So, so tell the truth. I, evolutionary versus revolutionary. No, we're not going to compromise with a party that denies science. Or we're going to accept every other page in the science book. We're not going to deny. We're not going to compromise with a party that vilifies 80% of Americans based on race, ethnicity, immigration status, gender, sexual orientation, and on and on. No, we're not going to say, okay, we'll be half prejudiced. No, we're not going to say to working people, you've been screwed for 40 years. There's been a war against you. So we're going to take some half measures to see if we can make it a little better. No, that's not what's going on. Something has gone wrong in this country. It's dramatic. Corporations have bought it. There is a party that is absolutely mistreating and using cruelty towards Americans across the board. And we need to win. And we need to tell the truth to win. One difference is that Bloomberg has served three terms as mayor of New York City, arguably the second toughest job in the country. What do you say to voters? They're like, well, Tom seems to have his heart in the right place, but we don't know how he'd govern. He's never run or held elective office before. What do you say to them? I say, look, it depends. Look, this Joe, the big question here, and this is a different way of putting again what you just said. Mm. Who do you trust? If you think this government has been bought, and almost everybody in America, just so you know, does think that. I mean, literally, oh, yeah. I was talking to a 25-year-old guy in a motel in New Hampshire, and he was doing me a favor, which was to open up the gym after hours so I could, like, go in and work out for a while. And as we're walking over, he goes, so why are you running for president? And I said, well, you know, corporations have bought the government, and I want to turn that around. And he goes... Well, I know that. I'm only 25, but everybody knows that, Tom. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh, I, so the I question know it. is, I know it. who do you trust to actually turn that around? Do you trust someone who's successfully done it from the outside for 10 years, has a history you can take a look? Or do you think that it's going to be someone from inside the system? They have a history but too. Those campaigns were done on the strength of your money, your organizing effort. You're, you're going to have to deal with like Republicans now and other Democrats. Uh, how do you how do you explain to voters how I, you, how you can do it without relying on your checkbook and organizing skills and such? Look, this is about ideas. Mm. This is not about check. That's what I was trying to say to you. This mm. is about ideas. If you look at the United States of America, in my opinion, what does the president really do? Mm. Set the agenda, explain the world to the American people. Mm -hmm. If you look at what's been going on, we have an agenda and an explanation that were set 40 years ago by Ronald Reagan. All of it baloney, all of it leading to cruelty. You know, government is useless, worthless, inefficient, and corrupt. I mean, that's basically his point, right? Mm -hmm. it, and the joke was the scariest words in the English language. Yes. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Unions, 
useless, inefficient, corrupt, hurt working people. Let's get rid of them. The, the private, the, the market, the market, whatever he thought that was, efficient, just, fair. Trickle-down economics absolutely works. We all know if you give the richest people all of the money, it will flow downhill and it will trickle down. Okay, all lies. Infl- you know, the idea that we don't need a natural world, that you're allowed to poison your neighbor so you can make more money. Okay, that's a great idea. Mm. You can kill people for money. No, we have an agenda that was set by Ronald Reagan in 1980, and we haven't corrected it, and it's run out its moral and intellectual bankruptcy. And the question is, really the question here is, how are we going to understand the world again in a meaningful way in the United States? How are we going to create actually shared broad-based prosperity, which we haven't? We measure the wrong stuff. How are we going to give Americans a chance to succeed again? And what do we stand for as a country? That's a huge issue, Joe. And that's actually the issue. You want to, people want to say that this is about legislative you know, expertise. Well, let me say this. We haven't addressed any of the big issues in the United States. This is a country that for, we have what, 11 to 13 million people living here for an average of 15 years without documents, without a path to citizenship. Everybody knows they're here. Complete failure of government. Right. Let's talk about. So you're saying what we should do is go back to those guys because it's working so well. (laughs) We need your. (laughs) Let's talk about impeachment. You were OG on impeachment. <laughs> the need to impeach. I like that. Yes, Thank you. you. Duke, I'm, I'm sure if you drop that in the debate next week, I want to. I want to credit. OG. I want to, I'm, oh, I'm going. I want to. I want awesome. I, I, I yes, if you do. I want to say Garofoli gave me OG on impeachment. Um, the House is about to impeach the president. Are you? Uh, do you feel uh, like? Do you feel like you've gotten enough credit for kind of stoking the fire early on this? And because Pelosi, I, how many stories that I write about? You and Pelosi and Pelosi saying Steyer get lost. And and was it saying, that nice? <laughs> <laughs> we had to clean it up for the newspaper. Um and uh and you saying, no, no, wait, I'm gonna keep doing this. Wasn't about me, Joe. It's never it's never about me. I know, I know. But this the, was but about eight million or however over many eight million eight yeah. eight million three hundred thousand Americans. Right. Who but do you feel, this was do you a feel vindication at some point right now? No, I think they should get the credit. Yes. They you there and was, them. no one was listening to me, as you point out. My congressperson didn't listen to me. You even gave her money. You it, was a contributor and you didn't even, she didn't even listen. No. What happened was <laughs> 8.3 million Americans said this is a matter of principle, that you cannot have a corrupt president using his office to advantage himself and then obstructing justice, that that is a dagger at the heart of the system itself. And America is supposed to stand for something more than that. He's a threat to the country. And it's absolutely critical that everyone live under the same rule of law. Could this have happened without need to impeach. Look, I thought those 8 million people stood up as constituents and dragged their Congress people towards this. Don't forget, over half the Democratic Congress people had endorsed impeachment before we'd ever heard anything about this Ukraine incident. It's true. Mm -hmm. And so what really happened was those Americans, and we did try and organize and empower their voice, was heard because they were right. I mean, don't forget this one thing. There was a question here. We said from the beginning, he's more than met the standard, the criteria to be impeached. He will continue to break the law, to use his office for his own benefits, and to obstruct justice. And actually, that's exactly what's happened. And so there was a question here about 
whether in fact he could do this with impunity, get stronger, and put us in the very position where I think Democrats are now understanding that it's his intention to stay in for the foreseeable future. What do you, do you think it's a win for him if the Senate, as widely expected, you know, exonerates him? No, no, no. It will not be. Have you don't not you don't fear the political blowback? Look, there's always been this thesis that being exposed as a criminal publicly is somehow good for him. How could that be true? If I went and spent, you know, if I had a series of TV um, hearings to say that Joe Garofoli is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you'd be like, oh, yes, this is awesome. I, I can't get on your bad side. I don't want to. <laughs> no, but I make a difference. But the yeah. point is this. Look, I've always said the court of, a, that counts here is the court of public opinion. Right. I always wanted TV hearings. The only thing that's not happening in these TV hearings is that the president in his trial over obstruction of justice is obstructing justice but the, and the, refusing the, the, to the allow. The haven't moved on impeachment though. But we haven't had the hearings where in fact all these people have to go up and testify. Okay. So you think once we get to the Senate, then it, it, it no, becomes I'm real very worried. What? The president has refused to let anyone testify. Oh, okay. That's completely contrary to the law, right? Well, I mean, the, the, the law is that the, the impeachment hearings are open. There's so much open to interpretation. We've only There's done nothing like open times. to interpretation here. He, the, the, there is a question of they're called, they have to testify. Right. You, if if called, they call yes, Joe yes, Garrett, they've been called part, and they've yes, refused yes, to testify. Yes, that part, if they yes. call you and you go like, you know, I can't make it this year. Call me back in a year. Right. It's like, actually, Joe, welcome to prison. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, you, I want to, uh, we have a couple more minutes. Um, you are a metrics guy. What are your metrics for success in Iowa? You're not doing so. I mean, you're, you're making you the look at the actual numbers. The what numbers? Actual numbers. What are the actual numbers? Look, I think the actual numbers is we're doing in the first, what's really going on is I'm not a famous guy. I, I'm really not. You know, that's true. Yes. So I've spent the overwhelming part of my time over the last four or five months since I announced in the four early primary states. And in those states, we're doing really well. So what is somewhere like, between and the numbers that I saw yesterday were somewhere between mid to high single digits and low to mid double digits. Where, where at? That's Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. But what is your metric for staying in the race? You know, Kamala Harris said, if I'm not first, second, or third in Iowa, I'm out. It turns out she was out a little further or earlier than that. But what are your, do you have similar metrics? Look, I have to think that I can win. I'm in it to win it. I'm not in it to make a point. I'm not in it to convince people about climate. I'm in it to win it because I'm the only person who will do it on climate. But if you're, so. Uh, I, I, I don't can, have, a, I'm not going to give you a, a litmus test that if I don't do X, that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. it, there, I have to be able to see that there is a path to win. Mm -hmm. And right now I believe that's absolutely true. And let me say this, Joe, this race is more wide open than it was three months ago or five months ago. I absolutely and, believe you know, that. That's California actually, is very, very that's wide open. actually why people came in in the last week or two is they thought, oh my God, this race is wide open. We are having an, oh my goodness moment in the democratic party. And that, oh my goodness moment is, oh my goodness, we can lose this. We need someone who can actually take on Trump and beat him and then be a responsible representative in terms of a fair, shared, prosperous America. I hear it, so many people say, do you think that the Democrats could lose this race? Yes. I, look, why would, do I why think we will? Happen? No. Yeah. Look, to me, there are tens of millions more of us than there are of them. And I think that if we tell the truth and organize at the grassroots, which are the two things that I'm talking about and I have a history of doing, 
honestly, that, it, that we will have a turnout that will be a record for your lifetime and that that will prove that this is the generational election that I believe it is. And it, it's a turn the page on Reagan and Trump and the whole kit and caboodle, George W. Bush, error, new America. We need this. Look, we can't lose this, clearly. And, and I'll tell you something. My daughter told me that if Trump gets reelected, she's not going to have children. Oh my, wow, Jesus. She's not the first person, she's 27 years old. For, for real, she said that. Like for, she wasn't, she was and serious. I was like begging her, like, don't say that. We're wow, good. wow. Like, but I'm not, I'm making a different point, which yeah, is, yeah. that's not the first person in her age group, 18 to 35 is kind of her age group, yeah. who said the exact, that I don't think it's responsible yeah. to bring a child into this world. And I'm like, no. Oh my gosh. No, Joe, come on. That's that where serious. we are. Did you not know that? I, that's, that's I've a not thing. heard that. I have not heard that. That's a thing. Wow. That is, that, that is not atypical. So I'm just telling you, what we're staring at here is something, honestly, we can't blow this. That's why I'm running. Look, I asked my kids, do you want me to run for president? They're like, you have to do this. Someone has to do this. That's where we are. People are acting. And look, I understand it. People act, you know, ask what I call the horse race questions. Yes. Like it's a horse race. How do you think about Lucky Dan in, in, in the third? It's like, <laughs> no, this isn't about Lucky Dan in the third. Yeah. This is, we've put all of our mortgage and our house savings and our car keys on Lucky Dan in the third. All right. Tom Sawyer, thank you for being here. Joe, Again. it's always a pleasure to see it's you. It's always, I guess, and then shortly after this is posted, I know I'll be getting a call from Jim, your brother, <laughs> to rip me for something that was said. God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> He's vicious. How oh, he is. <laughs> I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Tom Steyer for coming to the Chronicle to record today's podcast. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether you're a billionaire or a nickel heir, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.